Andrew Vaughn charges this ball up into right field. We are tied. Andrew Vaughn lights up Chapman. We are level at four. The first run he's allowed all year in the earned column. Liam coming in with zero margin for error. And the Yankees have won. So twice in the series, the Sox have made it to bottom nine through a roll to Chapman. And twice the Yankees have walked it off in the ninth inning. This is a tough one to swallow. What is going on here? That there on NBC Sports Chicago. I'm Rami Makhlouf on 670. The score, your home for Cubs baseball coming up tonight. 5.30 pregame, 6.08, first pitch. Do you think Tony La Russa is actually holding back the White Sox, or has this all just been a lot of noise this week with this Yermin Mercedes nonsense? I don't mean your main Yermin Mercedes was up to nonsense. I mean Tony La Russa was. And we might have time for that, but let's 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 focus on the baseball. And I'm asking you. Do you think Tony La Russa really holds back the White Sox, or is all the noise around him just that, a lot of noise? 312-644-6767. You can, uh, that's how you can call. You can also drop a line in the, uh, on the text line, or you can tweet the show at 670score, at Rami is tweeting, R-A-M-I-E is tweeting, is how you find me. And uh, I'm sitting here talking to our guy Lester Wiltfong from uh, Windy City Gridiron about the Bears, and all of a sudden I see that text line, Blowing up with people upset with Tony Larusa. How many does? How many games does TLR get to blow? Uh, duh! Again, will someone tell Larusa that Billy Hamilton is a seven eighth inning defensive replacement and pinch runner only? He should not start. Uh, I asked, did Tony Larusa blow another one? This from the eight four seven. Yes, he did. This is five losses directly to him. Uh, and from the six three zero, the White Sox would be doing better if they had Connie Mack managing the team again. Okay, you can get your thoughts in at three one two six four four six seven six seven. But Mike, you were you were laying out the scenario to me during the break of of how this thing actually played out. And Aaron Bummer comes on. It was in the ninth, or yeah, in the ninth inning, he comes on to work, right? And so yeah, yeah, in the eighth, he he caught in in the eighth. He pitched a clean inning with a lot of a base hit, then a caught stealing. At the end of the day, no no big deal. It was tied because of the Vaughn homer that we saw in the top of the ninth. So the Sox were trailing four to three going into the ninth. Vaughn tied it. They didn't push across another run. Okay. Tony Larusa stuck with Aaron Bummer. Aaron Bummer loaded the bases. Liam Hendricks comes in with one out in the ninth, throws five pitches. And the game's over. So Aaron Bummer worked the eighth, came into the ninth, came into, and then and then he brought him back out for the ninth right. in a tie game. And this has been happening a lot with Larusa, like in a manager's perspective, or I guess when you're evaluating a manager's influence on baseball games, this is a direct example of how a manager can influence a win or a loss. It's by bullpen, pitcher management, lineup creation, pinch hitters. Situations where you're you're calling for a steal all too often this year, Rami. Tony Larusa has allowed a very long leash for his relief pitchers and even his starters in some cases. But this one is a prime but example. What are you saving Liam Hendricks for there? Right now, what, that's the question I was going to lead into here. Yeah, exactly. What, what, what? Why on earth are you saving? What are you saving Liam Hendricks for? Why? Why bring out Aaron Bummer for for the ninth inning after he already worked? In the eighth, and again, I, I'm I'm here. I'm on the air. I'm not watching the game pitch by pitch, out by out to to play that chess match that we all play in our heads as, as we 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 armchair manage from wherever it is that we watch or listen to a baseball game. But what wh- you have one of the best closers in the game. You have one of the best closers in the game, and it's tied up. What do you? What exactly are you saving Liam Hendricks for there? If they take the lead in the bottom of the ninth, it's it's. Oh no, I'm sorry. This is on the road. Right. So, but yeah, if you allow a run in the ninth inning, you lose. It's over. Yeah, that's, right. I had it backwards. Yeah, if you give up a run there, it's yeah. it's game over. Liam Hendricks is is your biggest gun out of the bullpen. What what are you saving him for? And I I told you before the show, Mike, hosting a, a weekday show up in Milwaukee. I got to watch the Brewers every night. I'm a Cubs fan. I watch the Cubs every night that I can. I I follow the Sox as closely as I can, but I'm only one man. Okay? I'm just one man. I can't multiply myself. So, but I I hear Sox fans all the time including 
One, the Sox fan that I probably respect his baseball acumen more than any, and Lawrence Holmes, who you hear weekdays 12 to 2 here on the fan, saying that Tony La Russa has cost him three, four games already with tactical stuff like like what you're saying. And now you can probably add on a fifth right here with 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 an inexplicable decision to bring Liam Hendricks out or to not bring Liam Hendricks out for the ninth. In, in a tie game when Aaron Bummer had already done work for you in the previous inning. Aaron Bummer did his job. And then, not only that, but you bring Aaron Bummer out and then you don't wait to pull the trigger on Liam Hendricks until the bases are loaded? What, what are you waiting for? What, what yeah. did, did he fall asleep in the dugout? <laughs> what is he waiting for exactly to bring in his best bullpen, bullpen arm in a tie game against one of the better teams in the American League? He, he needed, especially like against the Yankees in this scenario, there's really no excuse. Liam Hendricks has to come in in the ninth inning, plain and simple. And if he doesn't, I guess I can justify his rationale in saving him for a lead if he brought in a different reliever that didn't just labor through an eighth inning. I know he didn't give up a run, but still, you know, going two innings late in the game tied, high stress against one of the better teams in the American League is setting yourself for failure. And you talked about games costed by the manager here. You know, looking at the Pythagorean record of the White Sox on baseball reference, I thought this was really interesting because it's hard to quantify how a manager influences wins. The Pythagorean record right now says the White Sox, based on runs scored and everything else, 29 and 15 and 22 or runs scored and runs allowed. The White Sox should be 29 and 15 leading into today, right? Their overall record um, is 26 and 18. So that's three wins. So that's three wins that the Pythagorean record believes the White Sox should have. Three more wins. You can add a fourth here based on the outcome today. So it's one of those situations where you're talking about waiting for Tony LaRusso's press conference today. He's going to justify it by saying, we wanted Liam Hendricks with a lead late in the game. And that's it. That's flat out it. But okay, no, okay. So let's 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 give him the benefit of the doubt or say, I understand, I understand bringing Bummer out to, to work the, the ninth. Okay? Because you're right. Maybe he wants Liam Hendricks with a lead. But you sat there and watched a Frazier single, and then and then he gets an out, but Frazier steals second. A walk, which was an intentional walk to DJ LeMahieu, and then another single to load the bases before you decided to bring in Liam Hendricks. He, yeah, he probably would have preferred to use Liam Hendricks in a lead, but Liam Hendricks did come into the game, did he not? So that was that was obviously in the back of his mind that he might use this guy if push came to shove. And how did how did you wait until the bases were loaded for push to come to shove? How did? What again? Where? What? What are you watching? And what are you waiting for? You, you, you're waiting to put Liam Hendricks in the worst possible situation you could possibly put him in. That, that's what yeah. you. That's what you're waiting for there. I, I'm gonna wait and hear what Tony Larusa has to say. But looking at the box score, Keiko goes four. They use three relievers prior to Bummer, and you take into account the amount of relievers that they've used throughout the week. Maybe they wanted to stretch out Bummer, who was rested, and allow again Hendricks to come in with a lead. But you're right. This is a situation when you got to have your best against the best. Hendricks is the guy in the ninth inning because all of a sudden you get a runner starting at second base in extra innings if you're tied. You want to get to that point. Because like you said, in the bottom of the ninth inning, you give up a run, it's over. So you got to have your best in that situation. Give your team a chance in the tenth, which they obviously couldn't do. And I know Tony Larusa has his defenders out there, and I'm not here to shout you down or insult you. 312-644-6767. The guy has had a lot of success in Major League Baseball. So obviously he he, he knows a few things. Okay. Tony LaRusa has forgotten more about baseball than most of us know. But it it sure does seem, and I was here two weeks ago, exactly two weeks ago to this day, filling in for for Speaks on hit and run on a Sunday morning. And and that morning I was I was asking Sox fans if if those in the media and 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 Sox fans at large were being too hard on this guy, because you look at the results, and and they're they're one of the best teams in in the American League, and and how do how do you really take issue with a manager who who has one of the best teams in the American League? How do you, you can't really argue with results? And people were saying then what I just heard Mike say just now, and, and justifiably so, laying out scenarios and situations where where Tony Larusa cost him games and quoting Pythagorean theorems of of how many wins that they should have and 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 that stuff all has merit but 
the flip side of that is you don't really know. You don't really know how many games a manager has won for you. Do you? Like, we, yeah, we can we can look at theorems and things like that. But a lot of what managing is 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 handling people, is handling personalities, and 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 especially in baseball and especially in twenty twenty one. It's a lot of handling people and handling personalities and having this thing having this thing steady and having a solid leadership, having a solid leader at the top and everybody pointed in the same direction and on the same page, or as, as Tim Anderson put it, pulling at the same string. And you can't put into any theorem or formula whatsoever team chemistry, employee happiness. You know what I mean? You You can't translate that into numbers one way or the other. If things are bad in a clubhouse chemistry-wise and, and morale-wise, or if things are good in, in a clubhouse chemistry-wise and morale-wise, you, you can't really put that into numbers or measure it or evaluate it. So I was here two weeks ago saying, man, yeah, you can point to game situations where he cost him games, but you don't know, you don't know what Larusa has done behind closed doors to, to foster a good environment and a good culture. Some of the same stuff that I was talking about with, with the Bears and, and, and growing quarterbacks. In, in the first hour of the show today, I said, we don't know, but it sure seems like everything is headed in the right direction. All signs point to things are good with the Chicago White Sox. To that point, two weeks ago, we didn't have any blowups or outbursts or rumblings like what we had this past week with your mean Mercedes. But now we do, man. Now we do. And that was the thing that everybody was worried about when Tony La Russa was hired as the, as, as the manager of the White Sox. Yeah, we had our concerns about this guy who hasn't managed a team in a decade and and where his baseball acumen is at because the game has changed both in the way that it's managed and played, but also in, in some of the rules that have changed in the game in the last 10 years. And now we have examples of him not knowing rules. We have examples of him not pushing the right buttons or pulling the right strings when it comes to baseball situations and... And the thing that we all feared most now has come to fruition, which is a culture clash with his young, ex- excitable, uh, flamboyant clubhouse that likes to, God forbid, I know, don't drive off the road when I say this, but have fun playing baseball. Oh, God, I know. I'm, I'm sorry for saying those. Did the FCC just find me for saying having fun while playing baseball, which is apparently against the unwritten rules and, and the rule book that Tony La Russa wrote for Major League Baseball decades ago. I mean, now everything, everything that you feared when Tony La Russa was hired as the manager of the White Sox, and I'm the guy who was sitting here a couple weeks ago saying, guys, there's a lot of noise around Tony La Russa. You have one of the best teams in the American League. Maybe chill out on the guy. But now we have all three, all three things that you worried about with Tony La Russa have come to fruition. That he, he maybe some of his baseball acumen is not up to date with the way that the game is played in 2021, with the fact that he might just not know all the rules with the way that the game is played in 2021, and that he might clash with, with his young clubhouse. All three things have come to fruition. And while I sat here and defended the guy two weeks ago, I don't know that I can do it anymore. I think, I think Tony La Russa might legitimately, weird thing to say about a team that's 26 and 19 and sitting in first place, but Tony La Russa might legitimately being, be holding this baseball team back on a few different levels. Is that how you feel? 312-644-6767. Because even this quote from, from Tim Anderson, and I know he's, he's, he's trying to paint it as, as defending his manager or making it seem like there's not a lot here. But listen closely to what Tim Anderson says about this whole, this whole hoopla about your mean Mercedes. You know, it's really just noise, you know, uh, for, uh, that goes for people that don't really know me, you know, for me not to get along with them. I get along with everybody. Um, and you know, the clubhouse is great. You know, everybody's happy. Everybody's enjoying the moment. Um, and you know, like I said, the ultimate goal is to get wins. And I think everybody, everybody's really pulling from the same screen. Everybody gets along. Um, you know, regardless of what, you know, Tony said to the media, we, he's, he's still our manager. We get along, we getting along just fine. So, uh, he's going to put us in the best, you know, best position to be successful. And, uh, you know, that, that's what he's been doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can just, you know, continue to keep pushing and, uh, you know, keep rallying around one another and, uh, you know, keep the media at our locker room.
he says, keep the media out of our locker room. And, and there was the other quote where he said, we're, we're the bad kids who don't listen. Tony is the dad, and we're the bad kids who don't listen. What? Yeah, we touched on it. Um, but, you know, we try not to spend too much time on it. We just we let you guys talk about it. Um, and, and as you see, you know, uh, the media talk about it. And well, for us, you know, man, we it's OK. You know, Tony's like that dad. We like his kids. We like we like the bad kids that don't listen. <laughs> but we all get along. So we're just going to keep pushing, man. And and uh, he knows, man, we're going to go out and, and play and just have fun. And, uh, you know, the ultimate goal is to get wins and, you know, enjoy the game. And, you know, hopefully we can just, you know, keep pushing and, uh, you know, move on past this. We're not going to always agree. And that's OK, you know, but we just keep moving and keep. Pushing. And uh, he knows that he knows that, you know, we're not going to always be be on the same page. But at the end of the day, we all got to go out and get a win, and uh, we got to keep pushing. And um, so it's all good. It's okay to not, you know, to disagree from each other. But uh, we all definitely put on the same screen. Tim Anderson just said, I'm not going to bother with an old man yelling at clouds. That's what he just said. I'm not, I'm not going to bother with an old man yelling at clouds. I don't got to, I got to go play baseball. I don't have time to argue with my manager about rules that don't exist. I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys ridicule him for that is what he just said. I'll let you and the media take care of that front for us. As far as baseball goes, I got no problem with Tony, but all that unwritten rule stuff, we're just not going to listen to him. We, we, we don't care what he has to say is what Tim Anderson said right there. He put it in a nice, in a nice package. He made it sound real good. It didn't sound like he was bashing his manager or rebelling or defying him, but he basically just said, I don't have time for an old man yelling at clouds about rules that don't exist. And now not only is he, is he yelling at clouds about rules that don't exist and throwing his own players under the bus in the process, but he's also doing things, including today, that a lot of people question when they're watching White Sox games and they think actually cost some games. And now he did it arguably again today and arguably up to five games that Tony LaRussa has cost the Chicago Whites. What did you say the Pythagorean theorem said their, their record should be, 29 and 16? Yeah, going into today, they should have three more wins, and that's based on runs scored and runs allowed. If you want to attribute it to a manager's decision, you can. I think it does have something to do with it. I really like the point that you made about the immeasurables because it's so easy to look at sure. what's on paper and believe everything for what's on paper, but it's not. It's about clubhouse chemistry. It's about the personalities and is how you show up at certain moments. And managers shouldn't have an impact, this much of an influence on baseball games. They should set the lineup. They should set the pitching rotation, and they should make the, the calls, obviously, out of the pen. And that's where you're having the most influence. Tony LaRusso is failing at a lot of these things and his way of defending his players in the media especially. And how is uh, just real quick, and 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 I want to hear from you at three one two six four four six seven six seven, and especially if you're a Tony Larusa supporter, I'm not here to, again. I'm not here to bash you or yell you off the phone. Tell me what it is that you think he's doing well and is doing right and is winning games for the White Sox. I'm all ears, man. But as far as that that particular situation, and 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 two things I want to I want to I want to clear up about it, or at least. Two lies that that Tony Larusa is 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 putting out there about the whole Yermin Mercedes situation. One is that is that he was um, he was defending his he was protecting his guy. He was protecting his guy. He didn't want retaliation from the minutes. He doesn't want Yermin Mercedes getting thrown at for swinging on three zero in a blowout victory. But if that's the case, why do you come out and defend the Twins the next day when they throw at your guy? Instead, instead of going to the podium and saying, hey, man, I thought we were good. We apologized for this. I told my guy that wasn't cool. I thought we were good, Rocco Baldelli. Why are you throwing at my players when I made it crystal clear that this is something that's not acceptable in this clubhouse? Instead, he comes out and toes the company line for the twins and says, I had no problem with it. That didn't seem fishy to me at all. No, I think the ball just got away from him. That's what the manager of the, of the offending pitcher says. You mentioned before the game that you would hope that your communications with the twins would, would have been enough to to prevent uh, someone throwing it at your mean. Uh, but obviously, there was the thing tonight with the pitcher getting ejected after that pitch. Well, that's the umpire's opinion. Umpire's opinion. Going obvious to me. Guy threw a sinker, and you know, didn't look good. <clears throat> so I, I I didn't have. I wasn't that suspicious. That suspicious somebody throws it somebody's head. 
We all know what happened. We all know what happened. It was very suspicious. And for you to come out there and say that is not defending your player after you were supposedly calling him on the carpet to protect him. It was a fastball thrown behind him. Right. Exactly. And the second thing about it, and I heard Bernstein rant about this on Bernstein and Rahimi earlier this week, and he's 100% correct. This isn't about a missed sign. We're not talking about this five days later if it's about a missed sign. This is about Tony Larusa being a red ass and thinking he wrote the unwritten rule uh, rule book of baseball and he's here to enforce it even if it's in his own clubhouse and he'll do it publicly. This was about Tony Larusa trying to enforce the unwritten rule book and this was very much not about protecting his player at all. And now, like I said, your three fears of Tony Larusa have all come true. Is his baseball acumen up to date? Is he up to date on the rule book? And is he up to date with the fact that people like to have fun when they play sports? Is Tony Larusa actually holding back this White Sox team, or is this all just a lot of noise? 312 644 6767. Rami Makloff with you on a Sunday afternoon on 670 The Score. The fact that he's a rookie and excited helps explain why he's just it's clueless. But now he's got a clue. What? This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. We don't need a pitch clock for Astadio. Oh, he loaded up. Mercedes tattoos it to center. It is gone. There you go. A 3-0 swing. And it's 16-4. Well, I'm thinking that probably doesn't. Lance, how do you look at the unwritten rules of baseball and uh, kind of the way that uh, Minnesota handled it tonight with uh, Mercedes? Um, you know, the more I played in this game, the more, uh, you know, those those rules have gone away. And, uh, and I understand it. Uh, the way I see it is uh, for position players on the mound, there are no rules. Let's get the damn game over with. And if you have a, a problem with whatever happens, then put a pitcher out there. That's the way I see it. So, uh can't get mad when there's a position player on the field and a guy takes a swing. Lance has a locker. I have an office. He's just the worst. He's just the worst. Lance Lynn talking directly to his own manager about enforcing these unwritten, imaginary, non-existent rules of baseball. I'm Rami Makloff with you on 670 The Score. Here on a Sunday afternoon, 312-644-6767 is how you can get in via the phones or the tech zone brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at RosenHyundai.com. And I'm not here. I, I do have thoughts on this whole Tony LaRusa thing. I, I don't know if I'll have time to get to him or not because the more important, the more pressing thing to White Sox fans today, right now, especially after another questionable baseball decision by Tony LaRusa is whether or not he's holding this baseball team back. This baseball team that has the potential and the ability to do some big things. This year and moving forward, is Tony LaRusa holding them back from being the best baseball team that they can be? Or is this all just a lot of noise? And if you're wondering what happened today, he decided not to go to his closer in the ninth inning of a tie game in New York. Instead, he brought out Aaron Bummer after he had already worked the eighth to the ninth, let Bummer load up the bases before he went to his reliever and his closer. And Sox fans have been questioning that as well. We all had the questions about whether there would be a culture clash coming into this season, but there have been baseball decisions of Tony, Tony LaRusso's that you can question that may or may not have cost them games, and as many as five games, depending on who you listen to, including this person who texted from the 847. Yes, he did. This is five losses directly to him. Another another uh, texter at the 815 says every single Sox loss is blamed on LaRusa and will continue to be all year. It's too convenient an excuse. Is that what we're doing? 644-6767. Jim in Rockford dialed that. Now he's on 670 to score. What's up, Jim? Hey, uh, actually, I wasn't that texter, but uh, I agree with the te- that last texter. I think that is so much of the story. And I, I'm not a guy that thought LaRusa should have been hired, and I do think he's made some some big mistakes. But, uh, you know, I think this – some of this has to go on the players, and there's been no accountability for the players. You can always use the excuse that there's been injuries, but Yankees have injuries. Every team has injuries. But every loss has been blamed on La Russa. Um, and then I also look at it in a sense that this is really the first big series that the Sox have played. They play a, a Yankees team, not a team in the American League Central. They go 25 innings without scoring a run, but no one talks about that. Tim Anderson, the guy that likes to have so much fun, he's got a 766 OPS this year so far throws a ball away in the seventh or eighth inning that cost them a run. 
They lose by a run. So, I mean, great comeback, and yes, La Russa should have probably put Hendricks in there, but everything is blamed on La Russa. We've never once, but, no one in the Chicago media has, has questioned what the players are doing. And shouldn't the players be grown men and get over this whole thing about the, the, the thing that happened, what, on Monday or Tuesday? They Jim, go to the, Jim they go let, me, to the, let me ask you a couple of questions real quick. And I'm not, I'm not going to hang up on you. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. One, what, what makes you think that they're not over it? People ask them about it, and they ask questions. We haven't seen any sign that they're not over it or that this has really caused a rift or a fissure in that locker room. We, we haven't seen, we haven't seen any evidence of that. We keep asking about it. So you can blame us. But the other question I have, and, and this was a point that, that Grody made while I was driving my way into the station today, which is when, when you see a, 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 a Tim, you said Tim Anderson throws the ball away. When you see a guy throw a ball away, or you see a guy slumping as a hitter, you go, what? well, you, you kind of expect that there are ups and downs as, as a player, when it comes to making decisions from the dugout as a manager, and we're all sitting here going, why didn't you do A instead of B as fans? I think, I think that's a more egregious error than, than a physical mistake by a guy throwing a baseball away or a guy who's just in a slump and not hitting the way that we all know he can hit. One is more excusable than the other. I'm not saying either is excusable, and yes, they all deserve a share of the blame when things aren't going right, and it's weird that we're saying things aren't going right for a first-place team in the Chicago White Sox. But you're right. When things don't go right, they all deserve a share of the blame. But I think a player having a rough week, offensively or defensively, is much more excusable than, and like today being a perfect example, a manager making a move that all of us sitting at home, our chair, armchair managing, are, are questioning while it's happening. This isn't second-guessing. We're questioning while this is going on. Okay, fair enough. But So, again, but that's the players. The players are there to do the physical things and to – to complete those plays, that's what they get paid for. And like you said, I guess my guess would be that they're not over it. Is they went the first 25 innings of a big series. Like this could be a play. Everyone said this could be a playoff series. 25 innings without scoring a run. Tim Anderson's the guy who's supposed to get you started. So maybe it's just a bad week. But they, they beat up on the Royals. They beat up on the bad Twins. They beat up on the Tigers. Now they go to New York. And let's be honest. A lot of these guys haven't played in big games. Dallas Keuchel goes four innings. No one's talking about that. So he's got to go to the bullpen early because Dallas Keuchel, your big money man, your lefty, your former Cy Young winner, goes four innings on the big stage in the Big Apple. So it's not always just – I just feel like the players have never been accountable all year. It's just anything that goes wrong, it's LaRue's fault. I agree, you're right. It's easier to be the armchair quarterback because we all can't play shortstop. But Tim Anderson's got to be held accountable for having a bad series, and they lost three straight. Sure. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I can't dispute any of that. You're, you're right about that. Tim Anderson has, has probably not been as good as Sox fans – want him to be and and the offense and the pitching in this Yankees series was not what you want it to be but those those are a, a player slumping is is not really preventable a guy making an error is going to happen and while it is preventable it's also we know is going to happen that the, the law of averages and odds just says that that's going to happen there's no law of averages or odds that says that a manager five times is going to make a decision that we all sitting in our in our chairs at home are going what is he why is he doing that and then it ends up costing you a baseball game there that that doesn't have to happen let's go to steve he's on uh with rami makloff on 670 the score what's up steve Hey, good afternoon. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of Tony Lusa hire from the beginning. And um, that being said, he supposedly, you know, is supposed to know all the rules because he was in the game and he was coaching for different teams. I think the Angels was his last stop. All this time he wasn't managing the Cardinals since 2011. But for someone who's enforcing unwritten rules, he, he ought to spend more time learning the rules of the actual game that are in the rule book. And instead of, um, you know, calling his players out like he did your mean and creating tension and problems in the clubhouse and the media, he's just, I hate to say clueless, but that's the impression I get from him, you know? I don't think you should feel bad about that. He has no problem calling his own players clueless. And you don't even know Tony Larissa. So I don't think you should feel bad about that at all. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. And about that whole thing, just real quick, and then then we're going to talk about all this stuff with uh, James Fox from Future Sox. And Southside Sox about that. Just let's just talk about this, the whole incident and, and, and put aside the conversation we were having just a second ago. First of all, who, who and I know I'm not the first to ask this question, but who the hell wrote these unwritten rules and how come we we're all finding out about them as we I had never heard this unwritten rule. I didn't even know the first time I heard of it was when Fernando Tatis Jr. did the same thing last year. And you got players and managers around the league who are going, yeah, we don't we don't ascribe to that unwritten rule. So who exactly 
does write the unwritten rules and who decides when they are going to ascribe and follow the unwritten rules and when they're not. David Ross said in a game like that, he tells his guys to go up swinging. Just go up swinging so we can get the hell out of here. Javier Baez bats lefty sometimes. Yeah, just go up swinging so we can get the hell out of here. And and as far as Tony LaRusso is saying it's disrespectful to the game, says who? Says who? Did, how did... How did we come to the point and decide that doing that is disrespectful to the game? All the stuff that people say is disrespectful to the game. Ask them why, and they never have a good answer. They won't tell you why throwing your bat or pimping a home run or swinging in a blowout is disrespectful to the game. You know who you're being disrespectful to if you go up there and just go through the motions in a, in a blowout in, in, at that point? In the, game? the fans. Because why am I sitting in the stands still watching if you just want to go home? Why, am I, why do I still have my TV on or my radio on if you just want to go home and guys are going to go up there and not swing? What's entertaining for this at this point? You're disrespecting me and my time as a fan that I'm giving to you, an entertainment, an entertainment product, an entertainment entity. That's all you are. You're not church. There's, no, there's nothing sacrilegious about this. You're a game that's meant to be fun for the people playing and the people watching. That's all you are. Tony LaRusso, I know you want to think you're much more important than that, but no, you're, you manage an entertainment entity, and that's it. And if you're not being entertaining, you're not doing your job. And if you go out there and ask guys not to swing and not to score, you, you cease to be fun and entertaining, and you cease to be doing your job. If you, want, if you want guys to just not try, if you want the game to just end when it's a blowout, Tony LaRusso has been on the rules committee for longer than I've been alive. Take a mercy rule to the rules committee or shut up and go away and let the rest of us have fun. But you know what's good about this? You know what's a good thing about this? We can't all shout these guys down unless they open their mouths. We can't all tell these guys, no, the world is changing unless they open their mouths and make this a thing. And I'm, I'm glad Tony LaRusso made this a thing. I really am. At first... I, I hate it because it makes me it, it makes me mad at the sport that I love that they tried to, to to water it down and make it less fun. But when Tony Larusa says what he says, Tim Anderson can come out and say what he said. You heard the comments. Lance Lynn can come out and say what he said. You heard those comments. Marcus Stroman is tweeting that this is just fine. Trevor Bauer is tweeting that this is just fine. Ozzie Gein and Frank Thomas are going on NBC Sports Chicago and telling you that this is just fine. And maybe, maybe the best rebuttal of all came from CC Sabathia. I know a lot of you have heard this, but can you ever get enough of this? Of CC Sabathia telling Tony LaRusa exactly what it is. And I had a similar rant on my Milwaukee show earlier this week, but I have the FCC to contend with. CC does not. Tony LaRusa's out of touch with the game, cuz he should not be managing one of the best teams in the American League, period. The fact that Tim Anderson, the basically the captain of their team, had to go on Instagram and step up for his teammate. Like, yeah, the game wasn't over. If you're going to put a position player in there to pitch, guess what? If he's going to lob over the plate, we're going to tee off. Put a 10-run rule up there, cuz. If y'all don't want to see people get embarrassed and you don't want to see position players pitch and people swing on 3-0 counts and all that, then make it a 10-run rule so the game will be over and you don't have these stupid-ass unwritten rules. And now you got a rookie that's basically been carrying your team this whole these last first six weeks of the season this guy's been carrying you and now you don't have a problem with the weird ass minnesota twins throwing behind your one of your biggest weird ass minnesota. that's just stupid it's stupid period i'm sorry this is terrible he shouldn't be managing that team and if you're not gonna step up and have your players back what's the point of being the manager of the white Sox? stupid sorry i'm cc sabathia for president i i want you know you you know what we should do? We should print the unwritten rule book, and not so we all know what the unwritten rule book, so we can not, not so we can read it and follow it, so we can have a book burning of the unwritten rule book and and be done with Tony Larusa and the dinosaurs of this sport. I asked, I had uh, David Sampson, the former president of the Marlins, on my show on Friday up in Milwaukee, and I asked him if these if these dinosaurs will ever go away from my from the sport that I love so much, and he said it, it won't be it won't be a meteor. That takes them all out, but we're gonna we're gonna have to phase these guys out of the game. And the only way that we can phase them out is if they speak up so that we can all shout them down. It's like that scene in the Dave Chappelle classic Half Baked, where he stands up at the at the 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 addicts anonymous meeting and he says he's he's addicted to marijuana. They all just shout him down and they say, Boo this man. That's what we need to do to Tony LaRusa and the rest of the baseball dinosaurs.
keep complaining, and we're going to keep telling you how stupid it is that you're complaining. We'll hit a quick break. On the other side, James Fox from Future Sox and Southside Sox. He's going to join me, Rami Makhlouf, with you on a Sunday afternoon on 670 The Score. Boo this man! I think if, 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 if Tony is able to beat Tony, and I don't know if he's going to be able to beat Tony, truthfully, just because the game has changed, but, but if Tony is able to beat Tony, the, the, the White Sox are going to win. I mean, I feel I feel pretty certain of that. I mean, that's a really good team, and he knows how to win championships. Go White Sox. Brian Terrio earlier with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. You can go back and listen to that at 670thescore.com or on your Odyssey app. Rami Makhlouf with you on a Sunday afternoon right up to Cubs baseball. 608 first pitch, 530 pregame for their rubber match with the St. Louis Cardinals. And speaking of the Cubs, I torture myself. I torture myself when it comes to the Cubs. I'll tell you exactly what I mean when it come, or coming up at 5 o'clock. But joining me right now to talk about those White Sox, what you heard Ryan Terrio say right there. You can catch this guy's thoughts on the Sox at futuresox.com, southsidesox.com, on Twitter at JamesFox917. He is James Fox. James, how are you this afternoon, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Rami. Do you agree with what Ryan Terrio said right there, that if you let Tony be Tony, that this, this Sox team is going places? Or is, is Tony being Tony holding back this Sox team from being places? Yeah, I think it's probably the latter. I mean, I, look, I think they can win the World Series because I think they're probably the best team in the American League Central. And then once you get into the playoffs, like it's, you know, so much variance, anything can happen. But I mean... I don't think Tony being able to be Tony would be the reason why this team's going to win something. It's a really good baseball team. I think Tony's lucky that, you know, that Ken Williams and Rick Hahn assembled the team that they assembled. Cause I mean, you know, you've seen it. It's a lot of high profile blunders so far and they're still in first and it's, you know, it's a bad division, but they're, you know, they're pretty good despite, you know, some of the bad that's, that's happened. And there's been like a lot of really bad, how, how much of this is on Tony? I, my guy, Mike Rankin, on the other side of the glass, producing the show this afternoon. I've, I've heard Lawrence Holmes say similar things, that, that Tony La Russa has cost his team somewhere between three and five games with on-field decisions. Is that, is that overstate? Let's let's put aside the controversy of, of earlier this week for a second and the first culture clash with his young clubhouse. Just from a baseball standpoint, is that is that a fair assessment of Tony La Russa as a manager, or do you think people are being a little too hard on him? So I think it's hard to say, like, how many games it's been. And, you know, it's like, because, like, he doesn't get credit. You know, managers don't get credit when they push the right buttons, right? Like, nobody ever says, like, that was a well-managed game by this guy or by that guy. It's just you remember the bad stuff. So, I mean, is he directly responsible for four to five wins or losses? I don't, I don't really think so. But I do think with as high profile as the hire was, and, like, there's a microscope on him, like there's a lot of stuff that he's that he's done poorly. The bullpen management has hasn't been very good. I mean, he's doing the whole thing where he won't use Liam Hendricks in non-safe situations, and it's it's happened far too many times. There's, he literally doesn't know some of the rules, and I don't know if you know some have said that you know some of that should be on his coaching staff. But I mean, he's the guy in charge, and Tony's always done things the way he wants to do them. And if that's the case, then he's got to take some of the blame for it. So look, they're twenty six and nineteen. I think he's probably cost them a couple, um, but you know, I don't, I don't know how many for sure. It's too early though to to hand down any verdict on on Tony Larusa as a manager, right? Like, I, I I agree with most of what you're saying, and and I see the 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 beef that people might have with Tony Larusa, both for the unwritten rules nonsense and for these tactical mistakes that that we're talking about, but. This is a guy who's managing this team for for in in his first year, and for all the experience that he has, there there's a learning process for any manager when it comes to learning how how to handle a locker room, when it comes to learning how, how to how to manage his team on the field, and how to work to guys' strengths and put them in the right position to succeed. The jury is is to be fair for for all the all, all the things swirling around him in this team right now. We do have to say that the jury is still out on Tony Larusa as the manager of the White Sox, right? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it absolutely could work, right? But it might have worked with anybody. Like, it might have worked with Rick Renteria because that's how good the team is. And I do think, you know, look, part of this is like a feeling out process. Like, while he's a Hall of Fame manager, like, he's been out of the game for as long as he has. Like, I think stuff the other night, right? Like, Friday, 
they used Evan Marshall, you know, in a in a pretty high leverage situation, and he came into this the season as their right-handed eighth inning guy, and he's been pretty bad. And I think Tony needs to find out now whether or not he can count on that guy, or whether or not they need to go trade for an eighth inning guy. Like I, I think he does a lot of that type stuff. Like just because we've kind of been watching this team for you know the last two to three years, he hasn't. So he does kind of like need to get a feel for how to use which guys when. But, man, when you're, like, trying to win a division title and people finally care about every game of 162, like, that's the type of stuff that gets talked about and scrutinized every day. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think the jury's – I don't think – look, I don't, I don't think it's, like, definitely not going to work. And I'm not really worried about some of the team mutiny type stuff. Like, I, you know, that's – they'll just, like, rally around each other and play. Like, they don't, they don't, I don't think they have too many issues with Tony La Russa. But, like – you know, some of the stuff today, like not using Liam Hendricks, like, you know, just that type stuff is what I worry about because I was told and a lot of people were told that they would have a strategical advantage in the dugout with him in there and they just haven't. And and that that's what I've said is that when, when the hire was made and I was sitting in with Danny Parkins when the name first got kicked around and I was here when, when he actually was hired and, and I heard three concerns. One was the obvious one and that was what, what came to surface this weekend with the Yermin Mercedes controversy, if you want to call it that, which is a culture clash with, with a young a young clubhouse that doesn't necessarily ascribe to the same baseball culture or rule book that Tony La Russa was. But the other two things were, A, that he, his, his baseball acumen and, and tacticals might be a little, bit, a little bit behind and outdated because he was out of the game for so long, and that he might just not know some of the rules because he's been out of the game and it's changed so much in the last decade plus since he was a manager. Which one of those three moving forward at this point do you think is – the bigger concern because you, you just said that you don't think a mutiny or, or any, 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 uh, any, any, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Any, uh, I guess mutiny is the best word instead of just keep on digging for a word. Any mutiny or, or dis- disagreement argument with their manager is a big problem. Is it the other two things that you're thinking could be the bigger problem for Tony LaRusso and the White Sox? Yeah, I think it's definitely the other two things. I think it's stubbornness. I think, you know, for anybody that knows anything about Tony LaRusso, I mean, this is a man who, He's always, you know, he's always had a big ego and probably rightfully so, right? But the way he does things is the way he thinks you should do things. And, you know, one of the things he said when he took the job was that, you know, he was upstairs and it wasn't as fun as being downstairs and he doesn't like the way that the game is trending. But, I mean, he's gone back to doing some stuff that doesn't really make any sense. Like they, you know, there's multiple occurrences where they where he's talked about playing for a single you know, there's a lot of bunting, a lot of unnecessary bunting. There's not using your closer like we've talked about in a non-save situation when it might be the most high-leverage like area in a game. So yeah, I mean it's that stuff and the, and like him just being unable or unwilling to change. And like I look when they made the hire, like I, I hated it as much as everybody else did. But then I saw the staff that was assembled, and I was actually like, okay, this might work. Like I was a big fan of the coaching staff. But I don't know if the coaching staff's able to do anything because I don't know if he listens. And I'm not there. And, you know, like maybe that's unfair. But, like, I just – I don't know. Like there was the, you know, the game in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago where they let Liam Hendricks run in the 10th inning because he was unaware that you didn't have to have a pitcher run. And right. people were like, oh, he's got a bench coach. Like, it's like, yeah, but if the bench coach knew, like, would he listen? I don't know that he would. So, you know, it's just going to be <laughs> – we're going to be talking about Tony all year, I think, unfortunately. Um, you know, I'd rather, you know – like, they should be a story, right? But it shouldn't be for the reasons that they're an actual story, like, over the past few weeks. Is it, is it possible that Tony La Russa takes some of the heat off the players by bringing some of it onto himself? Not, not that he's doing that on purpose, but when you talk about the pressure that, that a baseball team might feel, that even, even when, you know, hey, today, today Dallas Keuchel was pulled out of the game after four innings. And we're not talking about Dallas Keuchel. We're talking about Tony La Russa. You know what I mean? Tim Anderson is in a bit of a slump. But we're not talking about Tim, Tim Anderson not hitting the baseball. We're talking about Tony La Russa. Does this take some of the weight off those guys' shoulders when things aren't going good that we're all just going to go, this is probably on Tony La Russa. Does that, is that in a weird way a, a benefit to this ball club? Yeah, probably. I mean, Ozzy used to do it, right? And I mean, I think I heard this week some suggested that, you know, the whole Yermin Mercedes thing was that, that it was like, oh, he was just trying to, like, have them rally around a common enemy. You know, it's like one of the old, like, coaching tropes. And, look, he does do some of that stuff, but I don't think that's 
what's going on right now. I mean, could it? Sure. I mean, I, I you know, you didn't ask this, but I mean, the biggest problem with earlier this week was, I think, like the PR of the whole situation, right? I mean, if the if the guy misses a sign, like, yeah, that's fine, but like, we don't need to hear about it as as fans and media members. And then the thing got blown out of control, which is, you know, that's kind of why I didn't think that he was like trying to take the heat, like, and put it on himself. So, but yeah, no, I mean, it's. Yeah, there, there's a there's a lot of you know there there are some issues with this club, but they're still really good. And yeah, as long as Lewis is there and he's a lightning rod, I think we're going to be talking about him. talking with James Fox of Future Sox and Southside Sox. Rami Makloff with you on six seven. The score here on a Sunday afternoon. You brought up the possibility of of adding an arm to the bullpen between now and the trade deadline. Is that is that what you see as the the greatest most pressing need for this Sox team as as we we move closer to the trade deadline and and, and start thinking about some possibilities and some ne- and scenarios? I think they probably need a left-handed bat first and probably, like, a pretty decent one. Um, you know, I, like a guy like Joey Gallo makes a lot of sense. It's going to cost you a lot because I think a lot of teams are going to be interested. But, I mean, you're in your window. And, you know, writing a future Sox, like, I'm considered a bit of a prospect guy. But I've always said I can't wait until this team can trade prospects to, like, try to win a World Series. So, um, you know, I think I think they need a left-handed bat. They're not great against right-handed pitching, despite being one of the best uh, offenses in the American League. And I think coming into the season, like we wouldn't have thought that they needed a bullpen arm. Like I thought it was the best bullpen in the American League, and that they might need to add a starter. Well, now their starting rotation is really good, and you know the back end of their bullpen is is a little bit shaky. So, you know, I think two areas. I think everybody adds relief pitching at the deadline. I think. You know, they, they they might be in position to add, like, a pretty good one and maybe one more just because you never have enough. But, yeah, I think one fairly significant hitter um, is probably a bigger need than that at this point, especially with Aloy and Robert not around for a while. I think the fan knee-jerk reaction is is push all the chips. That you see a baseball team as good as the White Sox are in 2021, and, and you say push all the chips to the center of the table. Like you said, you've been waiting for a time where you could trade prospects to win now, but stepping back and taking the the thirty thousand foot view, or maybe the view from from the front office, is is this year the smart year to do it when you're without Eloy Jimenez and and Luis Robert for an extended period of time, or do you think hopefully you get back to full strength, you're healthy, you have one more year of experience and and contending under your belt, and next year is maybe the year that you push all those chips to the center of the table and invest some of the future to win now. Yeah, so ne- I mean, next year they might be a little bit better because obviously you're projecting those two hitters to come back, obviously. And I, look, I think they're going to be pretty good for a while regardless just because they got a lot of young offensive talent and teams that have typically done that have been good for a while. I mean, we've seen like the up-and-down struggles of Andrew Vaughn, but then he comes in and he hits a huge homer today. You know, I think that guy's going to be really good and needs to be playing. So, yeah, like I think they're going to be good going forward. My issue with this year is that, I mean, Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon are both really good. And as of right now, they're only here for this season. So, you know, you traded six years of Dane Dunning for one year of Lance Lynn. And look, that could easily turn into like a two-year extension for him and he's here. But, you know, as of right now, that's one year of Lance Lynn. And I think they probably need to try to capitalize on it. So, look, I don't think they're going to trade everything, obviously. But if they have if they have needs, I don't know how many true buyers there are going to be with going back to 10 playoff teams. So they, you know, they should be able to get what they need, I would think. And they should try to make that push for this year because playoff appearances are sacred, especially um, in this town, like on that side of town specifically. That's uh, James Fox at James Fox 917 on Twitter and find his work at future socks and Southside socks.com. And my guest here for the last few minutes on six, seven, score really appreciate the time and the insight, James. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Rami. Appreciate it. And he joins me on the Alpamani Nissan Hotline. Alpamani Nissan in Melrose Park on North Avenue or APNissan.com. I torture myself as a Cubs fan. I don't know why I do this to myself. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. See if you do the same right after this. It's Rami Makhlouf with you on a Sunday afternoon on 670 The Score. Martini swings and hits it in the air to left toward the line. Playable for Williams. He makes the catch. And the Cardinals have beaten the Cubs by a score of two to one. Good. They're a good team. They have good pitching. Um, their bullpen's solid. They're walking a little bit of guys right now, but I'm sure they'll, they'll all settle in. Um, and they compete. They always compete. And they're anchored by Yachty back there. Um, 
Uh, we have another one of their Bulldogs tomorrow with, with Wayne Wright going, and it's always fun with these matchups and playing them. And I just feel like right now where we're at, there's just so much mutual respect for one another uh, team-wise that it makes these games uh, you know, much more fun to compete in. The highlight was heard right here on 670 The Score. Pat Hughes with the call, as he is for most every game of Cubs baseball on your home for Cubs baseball. And the uh, Cubs take on the Cardinals tonight right here on The Score. 530 pregame, 608 first pitch for the uh, rubber match of that three-game set with the Cubs and the Cardinals. Rami Makhlouf with you on a Sunday evening here. And do you do you have the same thought that I have watching this Cubs team? as they they seem to start to be figuring things out and the pieces seem to start to be coming together. And I can't help, but I can't help. You're, are you a comic book guy? Mike Rankin, producer, other yeah, side of the glass? Bit, sure. More into the movies than the actual comics, maybe? Okay, a lot. Of, I'm, I'm more like that. I read comics growing up, but now it's all about the movies. But you understand the the idea of a multiverse, right? But there are all there are different timelines and universes where things went differently and the ripple effect of those things. And I, I can't I can't help but think about a a multiverse, an alternate universe, an alternate timeline where the Cubs didn't 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 dump you, Darvish. Am I the only one thinking that? 312-644-6767. Do you watch this Cubs team and wonder, man, how good would this team look right now? With you, Darvish, because it changes everything. Am I am I the only one torturing myself like this? And if you've heard me before on these weekend shifts, I've been doing here on the score for a couple months before. I'm having I'm having trouble enjoying this Cubs season, and I want to. I want to enjoy it real, real bad. All right, it's been a rough year for your boy. I know it's been a rough year for all of us, but it's been a rough year for your boy. And there are very few things that I love more than Chicago Cubs baseball. And despite them pulling the salary dump move of trading you Darvish. I've been trying real, real hard to enjoy this season. I came in with, with the optimism and the hope that they could, they could defy what, what it appears ownership wants to be a sell-off season and, and prevent that with, with, with catching lightning in a bottle type of performances from, from free agent signings like a Jake Arrieta or a Jock Peterson. And, and that along with Kyle Hendricks, being who he is, Zach Davies, while not you, Darvish, being who he is, maybe Adbert Alzale, which we're seeing that trio of guys sort of start to come together right now, that that if all that came together, and on top of that, the core of this lineup of Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and, and Wilson Contreras, along with Ian Happ and Jason Hayward, if, if all them could, could actually, something we haven't seen yet, or at least three or four of those guys in, in the same season congruently put together good seasons and 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 reach their ceilings what this season could look like and, and that didn't happen early on and so I became discouraged that that wasn't going to happen and now that that is kind of happening all those things that I just talked about are sort of starting to come together and come to fruition and and I can't help but wonder how much better this could be and if I could really be enjoying this season if you Darvish was still in that Cubs rotation. And and not just not just from a baseball standpoint. Not just that you'd be adding you Darvish to a starting or you would have you Darvish still as part of a starting rotation that's starting to come around. And I know Zach Davies wouldn't be here, but you Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, the way he's looked his last few starts, Adbert Alzale, the way that he's looked his last few starts, plus if you still sign Jake Arietta, that's that's a rotation right there, the way that the three guys that the Cubs have are looking recently, plus you Darvish, who, by the way, if you haven't been following his progress in San Diego and you were hoping that the Cubs the Cubs sold at just the right time on you Darvish, well, that's that's not exactly playing out. He's if you care about win loss records for pitchers, has a four and one record, a one eight one ERA. He has a strikeout to walk ratio of three point five five so far this year. He has a whip of uh point eight seven eight. So, yeah, the, or I'm sorry. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is even better, 6-6-4. I was reading his career strikeout-to-walk ratio. And, and I read a recent informal poll of Cy Young voters, and you Darvish was sitting fourth 
in, in that informal poll. So take you Darvish, add him to Kyle Hendricks, who seems to be back on track. Take add, add that to Albert Alzale, who's having a breakthrough through, through season. Add that to Jake Arrieta, who's having a bounce back season upon re-signing with the Cubs. And, and then you take this lineup, which, as I talked about, we haven't seen yet put together congruently good seasons from Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and Contreras and Ian Happ. Haven't seen that happen. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen for the remainder of the season, but most of those guys hitting the ball pretty good right now. you got rookies contributing. You have rookies contributing to this team. I mentioned Alzelay. You also have guys in the bullpen that are stepping up. You, you have, you have. Uh, oh God, I'm drawing a blank now. Second baseman, Mike, help me out. My Nico brain. Horner. Nico Horner, who finally gets called up at second base and is doing gold glove things over there. And and not, and, and be, so beyond all that and the baseball of it all, just imagine, imagine where our, our, our mindset would be as Cubs fans. If we didn't have a salary dump, of you Darvish in the offseason, which then put us in the state of mind of waiting for or wondering if and when and what some kind of sell-off was going to look like. Isn't that, isn't that what we're all doing now as Cubs fans? Isn't that, isn't that the position that we're all in now as Cubs fans? That, that's why I can't, I can't really enjoy this season to the degree that I want to. I'm enjoying it. You should, too. Cubs baseball coming up at 670 to score, 530 pregame, 6.08 first pitch for the rubber match between them and the Cardinals. But there is constantly this, this nagging feeling or this voice in the back of my head that even when things are going well, as, as they kind of are now, when things are kind of clicking of what could have been had they not traded off you, Darvish, and also what's to come. What's going to happen with this Cubs team moving forward, how good do they have to be to prevent a sell-off? And if they prevent a sell-off, are they just going to lose Bryant or Baez or Contreras or Rizzo for nothing? Are they just going to walk in free agency? Because that honestly might be the scariest scenario scenario that's out there for me personally. As much as I, I don't want to trade any of those guys, I'd rather trade them and get something for them than let them walk in the offseason. And I don't even want to consider all these scenarios and possibilities. And the only reason I am is because the Cubs let us know to some degree what this season was about and how it was going to go. When they traded you Darvish, I think while all of us were kind of wondering what the next step was for this Cubs team, when they traded you Darvish, it became crystal clear to Cubs fans what was going on this season. With, with him being traded along with the contract situations of the guys I've been talking about, Bryant, Baez, Rizzo, all free agents after this year, Contreras, a free agent after next year. All that and the writing is, is as clear as can be on the wall. It's just a matter of if, when, and what's it going to look like? What form is it going to take? I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in darkness in this Cubs season. And even when it's good, I don't know what's next. And all of this could have been avoided. You could have a better baseball team and all this wondering and questioning could have been avoided if you Darvish was still in a Cubs uniform. They'd be a better baseball team and we'd all be in a better place mentally as Cubs fans. At least I think I would be. Am I the only one torturing himself like this? 312-644-6767. Do you find yourself wondering what this Cubs team would look like and how you would be feeling if they hadn't dumped you Darvish in the offseason? Let's go out to those phones and uh, Sam in Lombard. You're on with Rami Makhlouf. What's up, Sam? Hey, so I'm right there with you. From the, the moment I heard that Darvish was getting dumped for next, I mean, literally nothing, I was like, okay, I might as well just pass on the season. And then as it's gone along and we're playing halfway decent, it's just the Cubs have now pigeonholed themselves into a, a, a major problem because they haven't signed anybody. They don't know if they're going to sign anybody. So you're either going to have a great season where maybe we make it to the playoffs and they're not going to make it through because you compare it to any of the other uh, bull, uh, the rotations and bullpens out there and we have no shot in ha- uh, yeah, uh, or we we trade off and we're just stuck with with nothing and still a high pretty much salary cap. So I'm right there with you. 
uh, it's pretty much an abysmal dark void of of sadness. (laughs) I'm not even. Thanks for the call. That was that was far more sad than even I. An abysmal dark void of sadness. No, man, it it's not that bad. I, I will say this. I was arguing mostly with my brother, but with Cubs fans about this Cubs team going into the season and and some of them were going well if you're going to trade off you Darvish if you've already started the sell off then let's just let's just go ahead and and go all in the, let the fires sale begin and if you're going to trade Bryant if you're going to trade Baez if you're going to trade Riz whoever you're going to trade let's you already started the ball rolling let's just get going and I said whoa man slow down a, a contending baseball team is much more fun and entertaining for me to follow than a bad baseball team that's rebuilding. And like I said, it's been a rough year for you, boy. I need some contending baseball from the Cubs for at least like three, four months. I need some contending baseball and meaningful baseball for me to follow. A contending team, which the Cubs are in a bad NL Central, yes. Can they make noise in the playoffs if they come out of this division? I I think maybe. If they get hot at just the right time, I wouldn't count the Cubs out come the postseason. So there are things to, to grab onto, to enjoy, to be entertained by, to have fun with this Cubs team. But I'd be lying if I said that I, like I said, don't have a, a, a nagging voice or, or this thought in the back of my head of a, what could have been if you Darvish was still here and B what is going to happen next? When does the fire sale start? Is it going to start? What's it going to look like? And and I, I have I have a hard time really really one hundred percent being all in enjoying this Cubs season with all those thoughts rattling around my head. Am I torturing myself? Should I torture myself? I'm not as tortured as that first caller who called it an abysmal, sad void of darkness. Now that's that's no there that's there are some abysmal. Sad voids of darkness around Major League Baseball. The Cubs aren't there. Well, 2012 Cubs comes to that, mind. That is, yes, a dismal, dark void of sadness. Yeah, that. that Brian that, LaHare. Shout out Brian LaHare. Don't don't talk about my boy Brian LaHare. Don't you dare. I love Brian LaHare. He was an all-star. Don't do him like that. Am I the only one who thinks this way about this Cubs team? What could have been if not... Had they trade you not traded you, Darvish, 312-644-6767. Rami Makhlouf, I'm taking you right up to Cubs baseball, 530 pregame coming up here, 608 first pitch for the rubber match against the Cardinals. More of your calls right after this. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. We are your home for Cubs baseball coming up in mere minutes. 5.30 pregame for the rubber match between them and the Cubs right here on 670. 6.08 first pitch for some Sunday night baseball. Rami Makhlouf with you on a Sunday evening and talking some Cubs. I want to enjoy this season, and on some level I am. Competitive baseball, a competitive team is better than, well, not competitive baseball or not a competitive team. But I'd be lying if I said that the thought, man, what would this team look like? How would I feel if you Darvish was still here. Do you have that same thought? 312-644-6767. Let's go to Joe on the far northwest side. You're on 670 to score. What's up, Joe? Good afternoon, Rami. Enjoying the show. You know, unfortunately for Cub fans, you know, rebuild is underway. You know, maybe not a total rebuild, but it'll be more than a partial. But you hate for the Cubs to keep at least two of our three big free agent tickets, you know. I mean, in other words, you hate to go to the market and bring home an empty bag of groceries, you know what I mean? Right. But, you know, a tag team of Bryant and, you know, Boris, I don't think they're even going to entertain any offers, you know, from Tom Terrific, Ricketts and company. But just like you said, if the Cubs were interested in, say, winning in 2021, you know, Ricketts and Hoyer, they wouldn't have packed Darvish's bags and threw in Carantini for nothing. But next year, I think the Cubs infield could consist of Duffy at third, Horner at short, Sogard or question mark, whoever at second. Rizzo might be the only holdover maybe for next year, but the four-leaf clover for the Cubs this year, in my opinion, you know, forget the April showers, but it bring May flowers. The successes and the surprises, in my opinion, of Marisnik in the outfield and Duffy in the infield, bringing back Nico Horner from AAA, but the $43 million mannequin closer, in my opinion, you know, Kimbrell, who's been doing a great job this year, is going to be on a lot of want list himself. But alongside Bryant, I think they're both going to be dealt. But I hope this time, Rami, that uh, Ricketts and Hoyer, they can get something better back than what they did for the Darvish trade, which all the Cubs got back, let's face it, were tickets to a double feature of Greece and Saturday Night Fever. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. When he talks about 
Horner and Marisnik and, and throw in Jock Peterson, who's who's resurgent recently. Throw in Jake Arietta. If you had all that going, plus you Darvish still in a Cubs uniform, plus this offense ser- seemingly clicking with Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and Contreras all hitting the baseball, this would be the team that we've all been waiting for since 2016. That's what drives me crazy about this. This could We could be watching that team that we've been waiting for to emerge since 2016. Because to, to be as good as we all thought the Cubs could and should be, you need A, to, ha- to have the, that top shelf of players filled up, but B, you still need to have a little bit of luck and catch a little bit of lightning in a bottle. And the Cubs do still have some of those top shelf players, but we don't know for how long and that luck and catching that lightning in a bottle, it, it doesn't do as much to, to buoy and, 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 and hoist up a team that, A, traded away some of their top ten top talent in a salary dump, and, B, we don't know how long they're going to be around. Real quick, Ron, let me throw this at you, because um, you know, it's a good point, and I know in the immediate sense, this Cubs team with Darvish, was a first-place NL Central contender, with three years and $20 million AAV, on the books for Darvish, does that concern you? And I got a tweet during the break from uh, Jay Barnes who says, whoever is going on and on about the Cubs trading Darvish does not know baseball. Well, then. All right. He was 34 years old. 99% of players' performance drops off at 35 or they get more injured. The Cubs owed him $60 million. Why did Tampa trade Snell and David Price at their peak? And my response to him was, well, you Darvish still looks like Cy Young to me despite what that data says, and that's why you do your own evaluations and don't just go, oh, let me see what it says on this paper here. Yeah, he'll be bad at 35. Let me trade him. I'm with you. You know what I mean? I'm with you. And the other thing is, this isn't Tampa Bay, dude. This ain't Tampa Bay. Don't talk to me about Tampa Bay. If they kept Darvish, do you think they're able to keep any of the three expiring contracts or four you can extend it to Contreras? Baez, Rizzo, Yes, Bryant. they print money, dude. Don't let yeah. them sell these biblical well, losses to you. This is Chicago, man. This is what they're saying. This, I, dude, know. they put up Jumbotron so they can sell advertisements on it. They expanded Wrigley Field. They bought most of Wrigleyville. They started their own network so they could print money. But and now we're, to, now we're comparing ourselves to Tampa Bay? With, Get off my timeline. <laughs> with Darvish on the roster, on the books, maybe they can't afford a Baez, Bryant, they can Rizzo. now, is what I'm telling you. Yeah, Don't let them sell you. you on the biblical losses. I got time for one more call. It's going to be Lance in Oklahoma listening on the Odyssey app. Lance, you're on with Rami Makhlouf. What's up, man? Hey, guys. I, I agree with you. I, I, I necessarily don't agree with the, the – I don't think the Dar- Darvish trade was that big of a deal. I, I do think they didn't get enough back for him. But uh, what I, my question is, how come the, we never talk about the Cardinals rebuilding? I hate the – Cubs fans hate the Cardinals. I hate the Cardinals. Why are they never rebuilding? Why are they always in contention? Why, and, and they don't spend as much money as the Cubs do. Why, are they all, why, why do they never have to rebuild? Is it because their, their ownership or their, their leadership is way smarter than ours? Well, I mean, why? Well, I'll say, I'll say this, and after I just screamed my brains out, I will say this, that the, the Cardinals have had going for a long time with the Cubs, in, ad, in addition to building a championship team, said they wanted to build – when Theo and Jed got here, which was which was a pipeline that was consistently consistently putting out talent. And 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 they did that with the guys who came up and won a World Series. And we're seeing some young guys come up now, and there are apparently more young guys on their way up through the pipeline. That's why the Cardinals have been good for so long. So hopefully if there is some kind of rebuild or reset, it's not a huge step back. And this is still a contending team. And we see some of these guys stick around and some new faces phased in and 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 they don't they don't drop off the map the way that we've seen the cubs do in the past thanks for the call man i appreciate it also thanks to our guest lester wiltfong for joining me talking some bears and james fox who talked some white Sox with me you can catch both of those at 670thescore.com on your odyssey app stay tuned don't touch that dial cubs baseball coming up next they take on the cardinals in the finale and rubber match of a three-game set, 6.08 for his pitch pregame. Right after this, I'm Rami Makhlouf saying thanks for listening on 6.70 The Score.